It reads like this. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogues sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. When he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he has promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, Son of the family, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they, and though they found him in no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring to you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he, had, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that though this man, this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. 
Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told, told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke to, with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves worthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went into Iconium. And, that, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. When we were looking at the New Testament book of Philippians, I opened a sermon with Dr. Russell Moore's moving account of the time that he and his wife Maria met their sons for the first time. They had been abandoned at birth in Russia, and so their first home was an orphanage. This was toward the end of the Soviet Union. And if you heard that sermon, I want you to ask, I want to ask you to bear with me as I just read a short excerpt again. Moore writes this, when Maria and I first walked into the orphanage where we were led to the boys, the Russian courts had picked out for us to adopt. We almost vomited in reaction to the stench and squalor of the place. The boys were in cribs, in the dark, lying in their own waste. Leaving them at the end of each day was painful, but leaving them the final day before going home to wait for the paperwork to go through was the hardest thing either of us had ever done. Walking out of the room to prepare for the plane ride home, Maria and I could hear Maxim calling out for us and falling down in his crib, convulsing in tears. Maria shook with tears of her own. I turned around to walk back into their room just for a minute. I placed my hand on both of their heads and said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Nothing awakes, awakens hope within us like a promise made. And nothing builds trust within us like a promise kept. Now, the point of our passage as we continue in the book of Acts today is this. Jesus fulfills God's 
promises. And since nothing awakens hope within us like a promise made, and since nothing builds trust within us like a promise kept, we should anticipate a profound encouragement from God's word today. We can never have too much hope and we can never have too much trust in Jesus Christ, can we? Now, since we, have, since we took a, a break from the book of Acts just last Sunday for our baptism service, do allow me to remind us of where we've been in the book of Acts so far. The, the book of Acts begins after Jesus died on the cross for us, after he rose again from the dead, and begins right before he ascends into heaven. And looking at his disciples, he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts tells the story of how that promise came to pass in history. So in Acts chapter 2, the church explodes in number as the Holy Spirit is poured out. In Acts chapter 7, the church scatters on account of persecution. And the result of that scattering was the, the gospel being taken from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the end of the earth. It reached Syria in Acts chapter 11. A church was planted in Antioch, the third largest city in the world at the time. And there was so much fruit in the city of Antioch that the Holy Spirit told the church to set set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that he had called them to. And so they they went to Paphos in, in Cyprus And the adventure continues today in Acts 13, verse 13. And so look there again with me as we carry on today in Acts. Acts 13, verse 13 says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And let me just say that was about eight miles inland, by the way. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now that's going to be very significant later on in the book of Acts as John Mark leaves Paul and Barnabas. But for now, verse 14, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And let me just say, this is not the same Antioch as the Antioch that they've been sent out from. Uh, Seleucius, the Persian king, had actually named 16 cities after his dad, Antiochus. That's why all 16 of them were called Antioch, which is really confusing for us today. Uh, But we carry on on verse 14. And on the Sabbath day, they, Paul and Barnabas, went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. And the word of encouragement that Paul does have for the people in the synagogue is this. Jesus fulfills God's promises. So I want to say right from the outset, if promises have been a force for bad in your life, because they've been more often broken than kept, then today is a day of great encouragement for you because Jesus fulfills God's promises. And if promises have been a great force for good in your life, because promises have been kept in your life, there's more encouragement for you still because Jesus fulfills God's promises. 
Promises that your good parents, your good grandparents, your good teachers, your good older siblings, your good friends could never have made and could never have fulfilled God's promises themselves. And if we, and if promises are loaded with hope for us, then there's much hope for us today. Jesus fulfills God's promises. And so I want us to see first to Israel. Jesus fulfills God's promises, number one, to Israel. Look with me at verse 16 again. It says, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he, God, had removed him, Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So Paul stood up in this synagogue and he said, The God who was faithful to our fathers in the past has shown himself faithful today by sending the Savior Jesus as he promised. He says, brothers, the same God who chose our fathers and who made them great in Egypt so that Pharaoh couldn't snuff them out as he sought to do, And the same God who led our fathers through the wilderness, put up with their whining for 40 years, the same God who gave them their land, who gave them judges, who gave them a king after his own heart, is the same God who brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, just as he promised. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to us Israelites, Paul says. Now, friends, the the point that Paul is going to make on the back of that point, as he applies that truth to his hearers, is very simply this. Since Jesus fulfills God's promises of a Savior, receive him as your Savior. If Jesus has come as promised at long last, then do with him what God intended us to do. Receive him as Savior. But before we get there, I want to pause And I want to make a very pastoral point for us all. A point to those of you who are struggling in life right now. A point to those of you who have suffered in the past. Who are suffering perhaps in the present. Perhaps who are worried about suffering in the future. And if that's you, do hear me say this. Jesus 
is the fullest proof of the faithfulness of God. Why do I say that? Did you, did you notice as Paul stacks one example on top of another example, on top of another example, on top of another example of God's faithfulness, he ends with the final and the fullest and the most decisive example Paul knew of the faithfulness of God. He ends with the one to whom all of Israel's history was pointing. The one to whom all of Israel's history was going. The undeniable proof that God does care and that God is faithful and that God does love you passionately is Jesus Christ, the Savior promised from years gone by. And you might say, yeah, but Hugh, you said that these were promises made to Israel. I'm not of Israel. I'm a, I'm a Gentile. And I would say to you today, if you are in Jesus Christ, actually, you are. All of the promises made to Israel belong to you and belong to me as white, pasty, blonde, or whatever Gentiles. But the point is, friends, if you look to the removal of your trials to assure yourself that God is faithful to you, you will doubt the faithfulness of God when and if they're not taken away. If you look to the healing of your body to reassure yourself that God cares what will happen to your faith when you're not healed. If you look to the saving of a spouse or of a child or of a family member that you pray for every day to assure yourself that God does love you, what happens to your confidence in the love of God when perhaps that person isn't saved for yet another year? What happens? Do you know, Joni, it's actually pronounced Johnny, by the way. Johnny Erickson Tata wrote this. She said, for as long as I can remember, I was into sports. Whether racking up swimming medals, slamming a tennis ball with my wicked backhand, or being voted best athlete in my senior class, I found my niche, my life. I was an athlete, and it defined everything about me. But athleticism can push a person too far. Only a month after high school graduation, I broke my neck while attempting an inward pike dive off a raft in the shallows of the Chesapeake Bay. I had assumed I could pull out of the pike in time, but when my head crunched against the sandy bottom, my arms and legs went limp. When they pulled my paralyzed body on shore, I kept thinking, what a stupid dive. Why did I do it? Months later, when the permanency of my paralysis began to sink in, I felt that my life was over. Fifty years later, having never been healed, here's what Johnny has to say. Does God miraculously heal today? Sure he does. But in this broken world, it is still the exception not the rule. A no answer to my request for a miraculous physical healing has meant purged sin, a love for the lost, increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase in, of faith, 
a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for his word. Oh, bless the stern schoolmaster that is my wheelchair. It is all to the praise of deeper healing in Christ. And so friends, with Jesus in the boat, not only can we smile at the storm, but we can also boldly face every trial. Does God care for us? Well, the sending of Jesus, the final, the fullest, the most decisive form of proof that God cares has already been given. And therefore we can know that he cares. And we can know a trustworthy God because Jesus fulfills God's promises. Number one, to Israel. Number two, concerning salvation. Look with me at verse 26. Paul carries on and he says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to, to have him executed. And when they, carried, when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today, I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. But beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it. To you. Now, the height and the length and the breadth of what Paul says there is so altogether enormous. It is hard for us to get our minds and our arms around it all, but I believe I can help us if I break it all down into four parts. So, so Paul says here, Jesus fulfills God's promises concerning salvation, which included, Paul said, his death according to the scriptures. That's where it all began. He says, look, the scribes, the, the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, and the priests who had memorized every promise about the Messiah, like the one we looked at last Sunday morning, Isaiah 52 and 53, they did not recognize Jesus 
when he came up and preached in their synagogues. And as a result, they fulfilled the very scriptures that they had memorized. His death and his suffering, his pouring out of his soul unto death, even death on a cross. But Jesus fulfilled God's promises of salvation, including not only his death, but also his resurrection as well. Paul quotes Psalm 2 and Psalm 55, or Isaiah 55 and Psalm 16, all of which prophesy the victorious, happy, and glorious, long to reign over us king, who could never die and stay dead, but who died and has been raised to fullness of life. And since the list of men who have claimed to be the Messiah and who have been raised from the dead is a very short list, Paul says, we can be confident that Jesus was in fact and is in fact the promised Savior. And then third part of what Paul says here is this. He says, what does all this mean for us? Well, he says it means forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness for all who believe on Jesus Christ. Forgiveness for all who receive him. Forgiveness for all who embrace him. Forgiveness for all who lean on him. And he says in verse 38, For by him everyone who believes is freed, or literally in the Greek, justified, made right in God's sight from everything from which you could not be freed by the law. The law, Paul says, could never grant the righteousness it commanded. And so that is why, for our sake, God made him who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not only forgiven, but righteous. Not only cleansed, but justified. Not only made clean, but made holy in God's sight. So in view of all of this, Paul says, fourth part now, he says, remember the warning of Habakkuk 1 verse 5. I am doing a work in your days. A work that you will not believe. Even if it was told you. What was that work? It was the judgment on the Jews. At the hand of a Gentile nation. In other words Paul says. Brothers. Kinsmen according to the flesh. Descendants physically of Abraham. Repent. Or perish. Receive Jesus salvation. Or receive damnation on the great and glorious day of the Lord. And friends, what Paul said to them, I now say to you. Repent of sin or be judged for sin. Repent or perish. They are our options. Do you know on on Sunday the 6th of of March uh, 1881, a ship off the coast of the north of Scotland was near altogether destroyed on account of a, of a storm. And so the fishermen on the shore, they tried to throw a line to the ship for the men to hold on to for rescue. But because of the winds and the waves, because of the furious squall, they couldn't get the line to the boat. And so eventually what they did is they threaded a line through a barrel And they managed to get the barrel somehow to this ship. And so each of the sailors had to get into the barrel one by one and be pulled to safety 
on the shore. Can you imagine having to do that? Well, this writer says the sailors had to get in the barrel, but one of the sailors on board thought that he could save himself by hanging on to the line, going hand by hand, hand over hand. And this writer says the waves were beating over him like falling houses. And the man had gone but a little distance from the ship when the heavy seas swept over him. And in a few seconds, he dropped into the surging waves. When the captain was asked about the lost man, he said, we tried to persuade him not to attempt such a useless task as it would be impossible for him to reach the shore in that way. But he wouldn't listen to us. A fine man he was. The best man in the crew, but he was lost because he tried to save himself in his own way. What an illustration that is for us. Men and women who would try to save ourselves in our own way. It is futile. It is a hopeless mission. Jesus Christ fulfills God's promises of salvation. Therefore, receive him as savior. And crown him as Lord of salvation. Friends, the truth is we cannot save ourselves from the judgment of God any more than we could hold on to a rope amid a storm. But Jesus promises with his own hands to pull us all the way to heaven. Therefore, trust him. Trust him. Jesus fulfills God's uh, God's promises, number one to Israel. Number two, concerning salvation. And thirdly and lastly, for all. He fulfills God's promises for all. Look with me at verse 42. It goes on and says, As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, We are turning to the Gentiles, and that is to us, non-ethnic Jews. Verse 47, for, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now as ludicrous as this is going to sound to us, what happened here in this moment was as glorious as it was devastating. Why do I say that? Because to the Jews, God gave the promises 
of the Messiah. Maybe some of the ethnic Jews who heard Paul did believe. And that's why Paul and Barnabas say to them, carry on in the grace of God that you've received. But then come the next Sabbath, when the entire city showed up, the opposition to Paul and Barnabas was such that they turned to us Gentiles, non-ethnic, non-biological, non-bloodline, physical descendants of Abraham. So that now the gospel of salvation is open to all, to Jews and to Gentiles, to Jews and to Greeks. And when the Gentiles in our passage did receive the Messiah, what happened to them? Well, they discovered for themselves That God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus because their chains fell off, their heart was free, and they rose, went forth, and followed. They they, they were saved. They were born again to a new and a living hope just as the Jews were to be. Friends, the issue is never, never ethnicity. The issue is never whether a person is of this race or that race. The issue is whether a person has been appointed to eternal life. That's the issue. Regardless of where a person is from, regardless of where a person is not from, regardless of a person's nationality or race or background or culture, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Not more, not less, but the exact number whom God had appointed to eternal life, believed. Uh, do you know, I'm, I'm quickly learning as your pastor that one of the hardest things about preaching to you lot, the same people week in and week out, is that you very quickly run out of sermon illustrations. So maybe, I hope you've all forgotten this one, but I shared this one with you before I was your pastor when I came to preach for a view. But imagine if you and I were stood in a field And imagine if I handed to you a great big shovel and I said to you, go and dig in the field for diamonds. What would you do? I'll tell you what you would do. You would assume that I'd lost my mind finally. That's what you would do. But if I provided you with actual proof, like legitimate evidence, that buried in the field all around us are more diamonds that a man could count And then said to you, here is a shovel. Go and dig for diamonds. What would you do? Well, you would be digging faster than I could say, go. Because the assurance was there. Friends, the field is the world. The diamonds are unbelievers. And we are the workers. And we can know that men and women have been appointed for eternal life. Because God tells us, in his word, that he has appointed for salvation a number of men and women of children and children that no man could count. More than 1.6 trillion skin cells, but almost a limitless number of men and women from every tribe and from every tongue and from every nation who upon hearing the gospel will believe. And so I want to say to us believers, a healthy understanding of the sovereignty of God in salvation creates evangelistic zeal. It doesn't take from evangelistic, evangelistic zeal. 
Think about it. If we believe that billions and billions and billions of diamonds are out there among the nations, would we stand there and say to ourselves, well, if they've been appointed to eternal life, what's the point in digging? No, we would say, because they've been appointed to eternal life, let's get on with the work. So to anyone here today who's not yet a Christian and is maybe sat there thinking to themselves, well, Hugh, am I appointed to eternal life? Has God predestined me to salvation? Here is a great indicator. The word of God does something to you when you hear it. Why do I say that? Because so many of those appointed to eternal life and who believed were among the number who were pleading with Paul to make these things known to them. The word of God did something to their heart. The word of God stirred up curiosity. The word of God left a heavenly impression on their soul. And they were sat there saying to themselves, Paul, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more of this salvation in Jesus Christ. And if this is you today who would be sat there saying, I don't understand everything that Hugh is blabbing on about and shouting about, but there's something buried beneath all of this that I need to know for myself, then friend, could it be that God has appointed you for eternal life? And if you would find out, all you must do is take out and receive this wonderful gospel of a savior who brings all of heaven's promises down to earth and gives them to all who believe and who receive him in faith. Friend, that's my prayer for the children of this church. And that's my prayer for the grown-ups in this church. That's my prayer for the teenagers, for the young people, for the older, for the retired. That's my prayer for you. That you would know sins forgiven, a heart set free, and that you would be a new creation in Christ, the one who fulfills God's promises. And may that happen today to those of you up who are appointed to eternal life. Amen. 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 Why don't we why don't we sing and respond in praise and once we've